Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. All right, Steve. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. Stoked to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super stoked to have you, man. How's your day been so far? It's been good. I uh, started with a little foiling in the morning and then, uh, yeah, now here talking to you guys. So really stoked to talk some foiling, talk some winging and uh, yeah, just have a good time. Epic. Nice. We got a lot to talk about. Um, guess we can start off, but how was Jaws a couple of days ago? Yeah, it was unreal. Uh, probably one of the biggest falls that's hit uh, this year. Um, it was just absolutely massive. Guys were sending it huge. Uh, there is paddle surfers in the morning and then in the afternoon turned into uh, more of a toe session. Uh, there were guys kiting. There were guys, uh, a couple guys trying to wing it, uh, wind surfers. So it was kind of everyone had their chance at Jaws uh, a couple days ago. It was it was insane. That, that must have been quite a zoo to have everybody out there all at the same time. How does the lineup work between all those different sports? It's kind of coordinated chaos, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, everyone just kind of finds their rhythm and finds their way uh, and then just kind of works in between them. Usually, you know, when there's paddlers out, there's not very many towers, kind of just general etiquette, right? Let the paddlers go. And then once it starts to blow out, uh, then tow and then let the kiters come in. And uh, yeah, everyone kind of finds their niche, uh, finds their spot. There's massive 50 foot waves rolling through and then kind of in between sets, there's some smaller ones. So there's, there's something for everyone to find space and pick it off, but it definitely does get, uh, get tight out there. And it just kind of the, you know, the lineup regulates itself, man. It's, it's jaws. That's the, the big kids playground. Did you, did you ride? Not when it was huge. Uh, we went out thinking about it and then kind of when we got there, just looking at it, it was, uh, it was a lot. So kind of was, you know, you got to know when to pick your days and when it's, uh, when it's right and wrong. And it was just uh, a little too much for me that day. But you got to hang out in the channel kind of thing and watch or? I got front row seats to the best show on the face of the earth. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome to be out there and witness it. Man, that would be. So what time do you guys get out? Do you get out in the, in the morning to kind of go into the channel and wait? Or do you, do you go out when it's big? Or how does that normally work for you guys? We waited. So we went out probably 11 o'clock from the Kalaloo Harbor and drove up to Jaws through the wind and the waves. And it's a, it's a rough ride pounding up wind on a jet ski for uh, a half hour um but yeah then once you get there you know it's all totally worth it i uh, spent we left at 11 got back kind of when the sun was going down so solid like six seven hours out there oh wow hey man that's pretty yeah. cool I, I saw it from the top and i think a lot of us were have seen it from from the top of it just like looking yeah. down and um and, and you don't realize how big it is like i went to one of the sports stores and in in town afterwards and i just saw an up close video of that and it was like oh wow like i didn't realize it that 40 50 feet is completely freaking massive right and the one thing but you can't see it from top because you're so far totally. away and that like one of the things that really i think catches people off guard or you don't realize it is the sound of the wave just hearing this sounds like a, a tornado smashing into the water and like just the the thud that you can feel of the the lip throwing into the water and the salt spray coming off the top of it it just adds a whole nother sensory element that you don't get from the photos and videos and it just kind of uh it's it's a reality check of how heavy it really is you know some of the guys that are really good they make it look like a just a little six foot wave the stuff that they're doing on these waves is just unreal um and until you're sitting there in the channel just right on the edge of the wave you don't really realize how how heavy and how intense it really is. Yeah, Crazy. I, I, I can't imagine. And all the training that goes in, like I follow Sarah and Casey Hauser a little bit and all the training and even like, we'll see Laird's Instagram and stuff, but all the training that goes into um, and, and all those techniques that have been developed over years of learning, right? It's just unbelievable. Yep. But um, a little bit about you, like how long have you been in the water industry? I, I've kind of grown up around water sports, ocean sports. Um, you know, I started kiting when I was like 10 or 11, um, windsurf, surf. So I've kind of, uh, really been doing this stuff my whole life. Um, I got into foiling probably late 2017, 2018, something like that. Um, kind of when that first generation of foils really came to market with like the slingshot hover glide, that green one, 
Um, I started there and I started kite foiling. I nice. uh, just kind of fell in love with it. It was really cool to have that sensation of being above the water and then the efficiency, right? How we can kite in next to no wind. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then I, I saw like Kai doing uh, stand up foiling. I was like, oh, that's freaking cool. I want to try that and figuring out how to prone foil. And then, you know, wing foiling came around and now we're towing. And it's just kind of cool to see how the sports have evolved. Um, I still do them all, you know, I stand up paddle, I surf, I kite, I wing. So it's just too much fun to, to not do everything. Totally. For everybody, uh, just listening in and not seeing this behind Steve, there's uh, I don't know, what is that? 10 boards back there, Steve. And it's basically the, every sport you can think of. That's the foil and surfboard rack. And then up above my head, I have stand up paddle boards and windsurfers. And then, uh, up there is downwind uh foil boards long boards uh there's some more boards under my house and ones that don't get used as often but yeah we kind of have a, a whole bunch of toys around here for everyone to get in some trouble epic um when did you start working with uh with benoit on? yeah so i started working with the guys from on in like early 2020 i want to say um kind of right when winging was starting to to take off and really gain some traction uh the on guys were down at the beach in maui here and just right place at the right time uh they had some prototypes on the beach and asked if i wanted to test them out and so at that point i was like just so frothing on the sport i wanted to ride everything i could so i was trying gear from every designer and buddies i knew that had different gear and i just wanted to ride everything um so i started riding uh their first generation prototypes and just kind of gave some feedback and it was really cool to like have them be really receptive to just like this random guy on the beach that they had to try gear. Um, and then Ben got my contact info and we just kind of go back and forth and texting and emails and Facebook, whatever, uh, through the first generation stuff and just seeing, you know, what's working well, what could be done better. And really just how can we take this sport that's really in its infancy and put some, some good design into the, into the product. And how do we make this like really be a, a great wing? Um, Cause really got to start somewhere. And just how do we build and improve from that? Man, that's pretty cool. Um, so you're just like on the beach and ran into the guys pretty much. That was really it. Uh, this is right place at the right time. It's pretty, pretty cool. I can totally see that with Ben. Like I, he was kind of riding around in different spots in Quebec as well. And he'd show up in his old beater van with a bunch of prototypes. And <laughs> you're like, hey, I'll tell you, like, out. Sure. It's super cool. I'm like that's my style, you know. I just I like that. Just guys trying to trying to make it happen, right? It's it's a tough industry, uh, and there's you know there's some really big brands that hold a lot of the the market share. So it's tough to get in there and tough to make a name for yourself. And I was just like stoked on on Ben's energy and his his design process and like what he wanted to do with the wings. It wasn't just about trying to make a wing and then sell as many units as he can right like obviously that's great but he really wanted to make a good product and really like push boundaries try new materials try new designs and like he wasn't afraid to kind of take risks in a sense or like let's just see what happens and i really liked that i thought that was really cool a lot of trial and error and some stuff worked really great other things were like yeah let's let's not do that again but it was worth an attempt <laughs> totally no fair enough do you find a lot of companies there because there's a lot of people on Maui doing this? Is there any kind of intercompany collaboration uh, or do the riders kind of talk to each other or is it kind of more siloed and kind of independent? A little bit of both. Um, I mean, this is Maui, right? It's, it's a small island. Everyone knows everyone. Uh, everyone's in everyone's business. You know, you go down to the beach and there's a half dozen wings with no graphics on it. It's pretty easy to figure out who's riding what and what prototypes or what companies. Um, but everyone does kind of have their own way of keeping stuff close to the chest or behind closed doors, uh, riding kind of off the beaten path or finding places that are low traffic to test things. Um, so you, you get a little bit of both. Uh, definitely like when you show up to the popular spots, like everyone's going to look at your gear and check your wing out and you know, what the, something new shows up. It's funny. Everyone like gravitates to that person and they want to see what's this wing and what's new and what changed and how are they doing it? So it's, it's pretty cool. I don't doubt. Um, what about, so did you come on at the V1, like right on the onset? Kind of walk us through that process because it's been super fun to watch. Like this is the first time because, well, I'm 39 now, but 
it's the first time that I've been able to see a sport through its original infancy and actually get on the different versions of gear, which I find is pretty special. Like you only get to do that once or twice in your lifetime if you're lucky. But for us, it's it's going to be winging, and I don't know what's in the future. But stoked to hear your perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I did the Noah V1. There was like a, a red one and a white one. There were a couple different prototypes that Ben had, um, and that was exactly it, right? That was a jumping off point. That was let's make a wing and see how it goes. Uh, and that was really cool. Like it was, it worked, and it had some good things about it. But it, like most wings in the first generation. They needed some refinement and some tweaking. Uh, and it was cool to try other wings and see, okay. And you know, I didn't really understand what each piece of the puzzle did, but I would just tell Ben like, hey, I really liked this about this design. I like that about that design. And here's an idea that I'd like to have for a wing. You know, I want this low end and this type of handle configuration and the stability, like this arrangement felt really stable. This one was a little squirrely. And he would just take the feedback and build a new wing and ship it over. and. We went through a couple generations of prototypes and like each time it it was massive the steps that we would take you know we'd go from a wing that was good and okay. something that like was unreal and next level and then the the riding level could follow it and like the gear was pushing the riding and the riding was pushing the gear so you got this really cool kind of uh you know circular feedback loop in a sense like the gear would get better then the riding would push it and then the the gear would get better again the riding would push it even <laughs> further um, and then that's kind of led to the, the current generation and soon to be the V3 Noah's where they have, you know, a lot of power, really good for freestyle, really good for wave riding. You have stability, you have, you know, diverse riding conditions. And it's, it's been cool to kind of see the, just the sport really develop and grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine that must've been, and still continues to be such a blast working on that. Cause you can just look at the little refinements, take it back and then ride something new. I think that that's, that's, that's unreal. Yeah. And it's cool to see like the, the steps are maybe becoming less dramatic in, in the improvement of the gear, but it's really yeah. the, the details and the fine tuning that are kind of coming together now with just how the handles feel, you know, the oval handles versus round handles and soft versus hard versus a, a modular system where you could have, soft handles and hard handles. And it's really, everything's hitting a point of like refinement. You know, the, the basic performance is there. It's just, how do we make it really comfortable, less fatiguing on the body and just all around more fun to ride. It's, um, I totally agree with you, Steve. I, I think that on the, uh, on the first generations, and this is across the board, as you were saying, you know, every, every first wing that came out definitely needed refinement. Uh, and it was amazing to see how much, progress was made by the time we got to v2 and then now v3s and it's like whoa the steps are just insane and you know coming having seen winter and surfing less in the instant more in the refinement stage yes there's improvements between you know one year to the next and yes sales get better and kites get better but nowhere near what wings doing in the first couple of years like it was literally night and day and it's really cool. I, I don't know how Ben did it, honestly. He kind of came out of the blue and he really had a good product right from the beginning. It was, uh, it was very much within the generation of those wings. And I think it still is now. It's quite cool that he managed to do that. I'm sure it's a lot of his feedback from guys like you uh, that got to see everything else around them. You know, there's also must have been really neat. I think what's really cool or special in a sense is like Ben and on, you know, they're putting out a product that's, competitive if not better than many of the bigger brands and really operating it as a, a small business right it's not like there's this giant design team with a multi-million dollar r&d budget it's like very small business in a sense you know it's a couple of guys in a garage and working mm. with suppliers overseas and like doing it all themselves and that's really cool um it's really tough to compete with just you know companies who have big budgets and ben's making it happen and that's that's really exciting to me and then considering exactly that, like there's companies that are relatively, well, they're huge. Let's be honest, they're huge. And they're, they're putting out different products. And I got to try a bunch of wings this summer. And I am looking forward to trying because I think ben, Benoit said he was going to send over a couple for us to do that. Because you guys are doing different stuff with handles that, that are looking more advanced than other companies. Using different materials, like you were working on leading edge size, like bladder size, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I think basically the, the the 
wide lines from what I've seen of Ben's design process. I'm not that heavily involved in it either. But basically, he he's not afraid to think outside of the box, and he really likes to look at the material that he has and try to push that material as far as he can. So instead of taking you know, a new lighter material and making the same wing out of the new lighter material and being like, cool, look, the wing is lighter. Like, well, this new material is also way stiffer. So why don't I also reduce diameter? And then I can go even lighter and even more efficient. Okay. And so, huh. you know, stuff there's, like there's that. There's so much that goes into that. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, you were talking about handles and I think that's something that's been, we've been working on it for quite a few years now. Um, and Ben was actually involved, if I'm not mistaken, in the original hot wings that had kind of like two mini booms. Um, you know, that was huh. already 2020, I think, like really right in the beginning. So I think the whole rigid handle thing has been in his mind for quite a while, and he's been playing with it a lot. And Steve kind of alluded to it, but the, to my understanding, the product that's going to come out is a modular system where you can have because some people like rigid and some people like soft um and it's going to be easy to move easy to put them back on and i think you know forward compatibility and ease of use is really the, the key here and durability because some of the new wings coming out with hard handles they've got you know the job of a product that's pretty and relatively light fairly quickly but you know you have handles ripping out and that's never a good look on somebody so you know, that's one thing that he really doesn't want he doesn't want breaking so he'd, he'd rather have his team riders destroy things and, and then uh you know set out a product that's uh that's solid once it's on the market yeah that makes sense yeah. um so go back to you, Steve, like, have you lived in Maui your whole life or where did you grow up? No, so I grew up about as far from Maui as you can grow up. Uh, I was born in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, so pretty, pretty okay. far from the ocean, pretty far from Maui. Uh, we did a lot of like wakeboarding and stuff uh, on inland lakes. And then once I figured out how to kite, it was like one of the only guys kiteboarding in Iowa, shockingly. I think there's after, you know, I started kiting, there was like... Okay five or six of us in like the whole state and people would drive hours to go kite and like, you know, we'd be looking around, like I'd be in class, like looking out the window, seeing wing coming through. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was interesting for sure. Uh, I was fortunate enough to kind of travel around, uh, spent a lot of time in Cabarete in the Dominican Republic, uh, kiting down there. Uh, and well then, done. yeah, I went to school in Iowa for mechanical engineering. Uh, once I finished that, I jumped on a plane and flew out and was just like, yeah, I, I need to get in some warm, warm weather closer to the ocean. And uh, yeah, now I'm here. Hey, that's awesome. So you do mechanical engineering on the island then? Yep. Uh, riding, so I did some, uh, whenever you can. Yeah, I kind of uh, been doing a various degrees of engineering, uh, a whole lot of different stuff. And then now I'm kind of uh, surfing a lot. I was just wondering if you got into work with any other companies and and use your mechanical engineering background in the, in the sports industry. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I in twenty twenty, kind of like right after the island shut down from the pandemic, I started building boards. So that was a big thing using my engineering knowledge to like figure out how to build a board. Like I understood the concept of putting resin on fiberglass around foam, but like really how to engineer a product and like make a lightweight composite. And I had to learn how to vacuum bag and like how to do resin infusion and how to build boards. So that was pretty cool. Um, and kind of using that yeah. technology, I've worked with other uh, board builders in Maui and other companies based around here and kind of uh, just shared what I've learned and figured out and kind of how things work together in a sense. And uh, so, yeah, I kind of dropped knowledge when asked and where needed, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, it, it would definitely come in handy. And yeah, that's pretty Yeah, neat. just kind of understanding like how things should go together and why they go together a certain way and just kind of why things do what they do, different materials, different assembly methods, different manufacturing components and kind of stuff like that. I uh, just try to help help companies out, help people out that can use a little problem solving, I guess. Okay. Really? Well, fair enough. 
Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting um, thing in in water sports, and I and I think even if you look at like skateboarding, snowboarding, and stuff like that as well, like the, all these sports, there's such a big design aspect that comes. That's an art. It's almost like a kind of a black magic thing. And then at the other end of it, there's really are kind of simple mechanical concepts that you can optimize if you know how to do it. And so it's it's a really beautiful mix of science and art. I think all this sport development and it sounds like you brought a little bit of the science into it for some companies that, that could use yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. And like you know, a lot of a lot of where this started was just guys trying to figure it out. You know, like even to the the OG strapped guys, you know, Laird and Dave Palama, and like just all these guys that they didn't know. So it was like, well, let's just go, let's go try it and figure it out. And like that's really inspiring for me. I. I kind of like that that mentality and that idea of like we don't know what's going to happen, but we're just going to we're going to try it, and for better or for worse, we'll learn from it, and yeah, you know, just try to develop a foundational knowledge and build from there. Yeah, totally. If you don't try, you definitely won't know. That's for sure. You hear them talking about those early foils that were like solid aluminum and weighed—I don't know, like twenty pounds or something like that. Yeah. I don't even know how they didn't brown using those things you know when you fall off the floor like that's crazy right and they're hooked in with snowboard boots and like bindings like you're not coming out of the board even <laughs> if you want to and then they're going out and foiling 30 foot jaws like that just that's i think it's so cool and like just such the 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 spirit of these water sports of just wanting to to send it and go bigger and faster and like that's that's really cool and that's what drives them forward like were you around for some of that did you see any of those first renditions no No, not in person um you know there's a few wall hangers floating around in the right places if you know where to look but uh i've never i wasn't like there firsthand of it i grew up seeing him like on uh movies like i think the first windsurf movie i can remember was the quicksilver with like the animation of the guy going through the stone age and gets the board and then the windsurfer and everything and like i thought that was the coolest thing ever uh, and I was just like addicted to these windsurf movies and then kiteboarding came along and these kiteboard movies, my room was plastered floor to ceiling with cutouts from kiteboarder magazine of like these guys just doing crazy stuff. And so it always like, I knew I wanted to be around it. I just didn't know how to make that happen yeah. from being, you know, 8,000 miles away. Yeah. Um, but as you just keep working at it and be patient and eventually the opportunity strikes and you end up in the right place at the right time with some guys wanting to test wings on the beach. <laughs> I think. And then you're a pro rider. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it works, I guess. You know, you just keep, keep riding and keep grinding and uh, eventually something works out, I guess. Totally. Hey man, I'm so stoked for you. Like we don't get to hear very many stories like that firsthand. So thanks a lot for yeah, sharing that. Sure. That's we appreciate it. Yeah. I'm actually interested to, since you, we got, you know, we kind of circled back to Jaws with the whole Laird and the big foils and stuff. You were telling us that you're kind of working on toe foiling now and trying to push the boundaries of what's possible on a foil. I'm really curious what, what you guys have been working on. Like, what have you done to the foils, to the boards? Like, what's happening in that realm? Yeah, some of the, I can't get too much into the, some of the foil stuff. A lot of it is very, very closely guarded. Um, but really just trying to <laughs> figure out how to make a foil go really fast and be really stable, right? That's at speed. Stability is everything kind of like when, uh, when you're a kid and you tried to skateboard down the really big hill and you get the speed wobbles, kind of the same thing will happen on the foil if your foil isn't tuned for it. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy that just the physics and everything that happens around the water, the way it separates and flows over the foil, all that changes when you get going really, really fast. Uh, so just trying to design foils that can handle that. Um, it's kind of like building a, a Formula One car, you know, every little tenth of a degree and every little small shim angle matters and how you ride the foil in the water matters. And like having the right foil makes the, it's the right, having the right tool for the job, you know, having a proper foil for big waves is kind of the only way to, to really ride them. Um, you can kind of shoulder hop on them, but like, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to get deeper in them. Uh, it does come with, you know, associated consequences, but uh, <laughs> just trying to like ride them more like how you yeah. would surf a wave, uh, but on a foil. Yeah. They're, they're obviously higher consequence, but that would be such an epic thing to be able to do. So 
Yeah. Like how many, how many years would you say like, or first of all, like how many years have you been, I guess you've been foiling since the onset kind of thing, but how many years do they, like in Maui, I've seen some of the layered stuff and he's like, you're not allowed to go in big waves or we try to keep you back unless you can swim in certain whatever, like 20 foot swell or something. Like, are there kind of unwritten rules for how guys are allowed to go out? Because I've seen such an increase in people that go and was everybody kind of hiding and now magically everybody can handle those conditions. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I guess I think it's certain spots really regulate themselves. Um, Okay. Like Like Jaws, for example, it's really easy to know if someone should or shouldn't be out there on that level of a day. Um, I've had, especially okay. this year, I've gone out probably five or six times with the goal of riding and just been like, yeah, no, this isn't, isn't my day. It's not right. Um, so just being able to say no, or like understand and realize that it's not the right conditions or the right day. I think that's, what's really important. Um, but it really kind of, you know, the ocean is, uh, essentially a free for all in the sense, a lot of spots do self-regulate the crowd will self-regulate. So if you if you're not performing or you're not up to standard, like people will, they'll tell you, you know, you'll know, you'll find out real quick from either the ocean or someone else that, Hey, you should probably go find somewhere that's, that's more within your range. Um, and okay. you know, yeah, I mean, you, you see people out that you're like, wow, like I keep an extra close eye on that guy. Cause they could be, you know, not practiced up or not trained up. Um, but as a general rule, people, when it comes to like, you know, walking the walk in a sense, when there's 20, 30 foot waves, like people, they, they back out pretty quick, I guess, if they're not really feeling it. Fair. I guess I'm, I'm speaking of that, but I've been speaking at with that attitude from the shore. It'd be a lot different if you're actually there about to, about to ride oh, it, a house. It totally is. Yeah. You can sit, you know, sit in the channel and, oh yeah, I could surf that all day long. Yeah. It looks easy. Go whip me in. And then like when you're getting towed in and it starts to steepen up and like, you're looking at a drop, like you, you gotta be sound between the, between the ears, you know, you gotta be like 110% committed and focused. You can't have any other distraction. Like the only thing that matters is what's directly in front of you. Um, and if yeah. you, you're not trained, you're not prepared, your team isn't ready. You haven't put in the hours ahead of time. Like you're just not going to find success. Okay. And for those at home who are not, maybe up to speed about everything. Like how many people are on a team that go out on a day like that? Those with you? real big days, like the guys that will have, you know, a couple jet skis, a boat, like EMTs with them. So it's, you know, a whole, a whole operation. Um, when it's not like fully juicing, you know, 40, 50 feet, like 15, 20 feet, usually we'll go out with like a tow ski and a rescue ski, kind of just have a backup plan put in place. Um, and then just having the, the conversations okay. and the training and dry land, you know, here's, here's our plan A, here's our plan B, here's our plan C. Um, almost everyone I tell with, we've, you know, we've gone through the brag courses, the big way, big wave risk assessment group, we've done their training. So, you know, you, you kind of learn in how to put together an action plan and figure out if something goes wrong, here's what we're going to do. And having everyone in the water on the same page, or at least, you know, working from the same playbook makes a huge difference. Um, and then just everyone themselves, okay. every individual person putting in the dry land training and, you know, hours swimming in a pool and running rock and working with weights and cardio, uh, doing everything when it's small and flat, getting our pickups dialed off the jet ski, like all that goes into play for, you know, a, a 15 second wave. Okay. No, like I've always been super interested in all the training. I, I used, I was a kinesiologist years ago and we went into all that kind of land-based stuff, but the water stuff has been something that I've been always been fascinated about. So cool to find out a bit more about it. Um, actually it might be a good time to ask for some questions. Anybody in the audience interested in asking Steve anything? I thought I'd speak up real quick. Uh, Steve, good, good to see you, meet you here. Um, I'm a recovering mechanical engineer as well. So I, I share that with you. Um, I, I was just to your last comment about the training, the brag, the rock running and the preparations. Um, I was going to say that I get that as well. I used to race snowboard cross in the world cup and the scale of that speed and the magnitude of the crashes and the 
the heaviness of the sport is, you know, from the outsider, super crazy. But for me, it was like slow motion. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, we went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um, heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna, and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, they do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School at Saladita Kite School. You know, when you're doing it, no, no real big deal. But the only way you can get there is through the 10,000 hours and the preparation. You can't just fire down the gauntlet, like top to bottom and expect to be in good health. So this is interesting to me. I'm new, new to the sport and trying to, trying to find the next big thing for me to pursue. And I just wanted to say that was a cool story. Very relatable for me. Good. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, thanks for sharing, yeah. Patrick. Cheers. I mean, the, sure. the 10,000 hours thing is like uh, totally the truth. Like it's, it's not hard to go buy a jet ski and go grab a tower up and go fling yourself into the biggest wave you can find. Like that's yeah. really easy to do. What's, what's hard is to survive it and to come up and like have someone that's going to come get you and, and be prepared to, to survive a situation like that. That's where the training and, and, you know, the, the 10,000 hours comes in and really like, you know, kind of just what yeah. people ask, like, Oh, how do I start doing it? I'm just to start. There's no secret. There's no magic recipe or anything. You know, it's just hours of timing, time behind the throttle, time on the rope, practicing your pickups, training your body, getting your mind comfortable to go sit underwater for 45 seconds while you're getting beat <laughs> up. Like there's, yeah. there's no shortcut. You just put in the hours, put in the time and like kind of when, when you know you're ready, you're ready, I guess you're never really ready, yeah. but the butterflies gets... kind of become a manageable level. Um, it and gets that was more and more like, normal. Yeah. Yeah. When it wasn't like absolutely terrifying and you, and you work your way up, you know, all of a sudden 10 feet feels small, then 15 feet feels small. And then, you know, 20 feet does feels manageable. And then you just kind of slowly build your way up and up. Cool. Okay. That's cool. Um, for breath holding, like how long can you hold your breath now and how long did that take you to get there? Like just laying on the floor after a good comfortable breathe up and a few like uh, breathe up, breathe down, probably like four minutes is kind of where I'm maxing out. Um, wow. But it's like, you know, we, I train both like static breath holding. So just trying to hold my breath as long as I can. And then also like dynamic breath holding. So like sitting on a bike, you know, trying to put out like 70% output and then hold my breath for 45 seconds and do that over and over again, or like okay. swim a couple laps in the pool and then hold my breath. Uh, so you kind of train both the elevated heart rate and the lower heart rate uh, of breath holding. You know, there's, there's a ton of science in it. And like really the free divers, they seem to really understand it the best. And I try to just read as much as I can and try to learn from them. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, okay. I'm not a respiratory expert by any means. Um, I kind of just try to read as much as I can and learn what I can and try to figure out how, like, what is my body doing when it's deprived of air? And like, when am I truly out of breath versus when I feel like I'm out of breath, which surprisingly are two dramatically different points. Mm -hmm. And what's the mental game? Like, I've heard that's like, do you feel freaked out the whole time? Cause I do, if I hold my breath past a certain point, like, do you, I know there's obviously a lot of levels of stuff that you break through, but how does that feel? It's totally a mind over matter thing up to a point, obviously. Um, yeah. The yeah. mental game is huge, right? And knowing 
how far you can push your body and what it feels like as you're approaching that failure point in a sense. Um, I think that's really important and a really essential part of safely being in the ocean and knowing what you can and can't handle. Um, and really like practicing it and learning that in a controlled environment where you have spotters and you have people that are able and ready to help you out. If you do go a little too far and like blackout, for example, um, you know, you're better to do that in a swimming pool with people that are there to help you than in the middle of the ocean where you have next to no help or it's minutes before you can get to a, a better level of care. So just trying to push your body in controlled environments. So that way, when you get to an mm -hmm. uncontrolled environment, you know, you're, you know, your thresholds, you know what it feels like as you're approaching them. And then you know how to like deal with it. Okay. No, it's a good point. And how many years of, of training would, did it take for you to get to that four minute kind of hold? Uh, honestly, not that long. Um, probably huh. within like less than a month of like actively practicing and doing it. Really? Um, I was surprised at okay. how quickly you could get to that point when you kind of commit to it. Um, and you know, every, every person's different, right? Like their, their lung size and how their body uses the air. Everybody's different. So my four minutes could be someone else's three and a half minutes and someone else's five minutes, but it was really okay. kind of uh, it was pretty quick to get to that point going beyond that. Like definitely seems to take a lot more time though. Um, I'm like five minutes has kind of been my goal. Uh, I'm not there yet, but it's, it's getting better. You got a good foundation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge foundation. And I'm, I'm super curious about what your first flight was on foil. What did that feel like? Did you anticipate what it would feel like? Like, kind of walk us through that. Would Felt be like cool. riding a fucking Bronco and a skateboard on a ladder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the very first foil I had was the slingshot hover glide. Um, I think it was maybe like yeah. a 700, 800 square centimeter foil. It was the green one, really heavy and aluminum. Um, and I was kiteboard, yeah. kite foiling. I lived in Los Angeles at that time. Uh, we were down in Belmont Shores down there in Long Beach. And uh, there were a few guys foiling down there and it had a small scene. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So I drilled some holes in a skimboard and bolted it on with carriage bolts and just kind of went. Um, and it, it, we figured it out relatively quickly. Uh, but yeah, definitely having yeah. like that three foot long mast and you just, as soon as the foil catches, it just launches you up. And I think yeah, I had to walk it up the beach a couple of times. Um, but then I figured out how I could like stay up wind okay. on it. And then you go out one way and trying to come back in was hard. So it was, man, it was, it was an, uh, an adventure. How long ago was that? 2017? I think say? that was 2017. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 2017, 18, something like that. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> All right. That sounds a lot like my first time as well. I was, uh, I, I, I started on the, um, RS light something like that that first meal provide um basically like race foil that yeah. somehow they thought was a beginner foil and it was it's so funny because i started on that and i tried it for like half an hour and i just couldn't get the thing working at all and then i hopped on a setup um with a go foil on it which was like just a way bigger thicker foil so much easier to ride and it was just like instant like boop I know, right? Everyone that's learning to foil now, they have it. They have it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. yeah. Totally. So how was your first wing foil then? Like, when did you get on that for the first time? I got on, the first time I tried a wing foil, there was a guy that had one at the beach. It was like one of the OG Nash prototypes. I think this was like 20, yeah. 2019, something like that. And it was like a stand up and had a big yeah. foil and it was kind of was like, I got up right away and just kind of went out and turned around and came back and it didn't click for me. Um, at that point okay. it was in the summer and like, there were no waves, you know, the, the North shore of Maui is quite flat in the summer. Uh, and I don't know. I kind of was like, I could take it or leave it. Um, so I kind of just did it out and back, walked it up the beach. I was like, all right, yeah, cool, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye. Whatever. Uh, and then probably like what, yeah. six months later, ozone launched their wasp. Uh, the very first uh, V1 of that. And I had uh, a different stand up and board and there was like some little waves and kind of just little bumps. And I went out and got a bump and rode it. And I was like, okay, 
I see how this works now. Like using the wing to pull myself into a wave and then just hold it flat there and be able to just focus on surfing the wave without any thought of wind direction and swell direction. Like I'm only riding a wave. That's what clicked for me. Um, kind of, okay. you know, all these wind sports, windsurfing, kite surfing, they all kind of have a, a root of trying to ride waves without having to paddle for them. You know, kind of like the, the personal jet ski in a sense. And winging is the first sport that like actually does that for me um, where I'm not, I can go upwind, I can go downwind, I can go left, I can go right. It doesn't matter what the wind direction and the swell direction is. Like I can just ride the wave. Um, you know, sometimes with kiting or windsurfing, you're restricted in how you can ride the wave depending on the, the wind direction and the swell direction. If you want to go left, you can't always go left. You got to go right. And the wing just kind of opens all that up. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. Have you seen, like, obviously you got to see crazy board progression. Yep. Um, what kind of sizes are you riding now and what do you like to ride? And so I ride, uh, four, six by 19 and a half and like 32 liters. Uh, and that's kind of my, my one board quiver. Uh, I wing it, I prone it, okay. I tow it. Uh, it's just a good size for me that does pretty much everything. Um, learning to ride small boards was hard. You know, we all started out on standups okay. where we're getting on our knees and then to our feet. And then it's like, all right, like this is fun, but. I have way more fun riding waves on my small board and my small foil. So then we all had to figure out, you know, how to do this. Like, how do we sink the board? Do we sink it? Do we get on our knees? Do we get it moving through the water and try to stand up? Um, and you saw a lot of different water start techniques start to happen. Now I'm, I'm six foot four and my legs are super long. So like sitting and getting to my feet is like not an easy thing for me. Um, so that was where yeah, I just had no. to figure out how to sink the board. Uh, and that was, really frustrating the first few times I went out and did yeah. it I was like oh my god this sucks and like I, I almost quit on it a couple times but then once I figured it out and like got it dialed in then it was totally worth it and I was like fired up on the sport again can you walk us through how you do that because Tom you've written some small stuff just before you say that can, can you just tell us how much you weigh and that way we have an idea for you know how you're oh yeah that'll help. There. yeah so i'm so six foot four 170 pounds so, uh straps is obviously way easier to do the the stinker start or just to sink your board in general um because you have more control over the board when it's underwater you're not just relying on the buoyancy of the board to push it against your feet but i start by pushing the board down um actually gotta think about this a little bit here I, I push the board down. I put my back foot in first. So my front hand is on the nose of the board and my back foot is in the rear strap, kind of doing like a little yoga pose there. Okay. And then I put my front foot in and then I get the wing back to my hands and hold it over my head and then go. Okay. And then you have a, so no impact. So you're kind of sinking. You're just in board shorts and a, and a yeah. kind of rashy kind of thing. So you're, I guess you're lying back on your back kind of thing a little bit. And then, but so you have to have enough wind to fly your wing decently well to get you going. I guess you can't do that in like 15 or less, I guess this is what. Yeah. So plus, it's 18 easier plus. with stronger wind, right? Cause you're like, I'm sitting on top of the board. Okay. So like the foil and the board and then my body's here and everything is kind of stacked on top of each other. Um, so I'm almost like squatting on top of the board. And when I'm in the water, I'm probably like okay. deep more or less on top of the board. Uh, stronger wind is definitely much easier. Um, but like after practice and you start to figure out little things to be more efficient, probably my bottom end is like that 15 to 16 range. Um, but that's a lot of work and it's, okay. it's hard, right? Like once you get up, you want to yeah. kind of just cruise around and take a break and let your arms <laughs> yeah. relax uh, before you go down again. Um, like 20 is kind of bread and butter. Like if you have 20 knots, like all day long, it's it's no big deal. Okay. Um, when it gets under that though, that's when it can be a little more fatiguing, I guess. Like I just get tired quicker because you're pumping harder and harder, and just takes more effort to get up. Okay. So you'll still you'll still sorry you was gonna say you, you'll still try at 12, 11, 12, 13. You, you um, I would bother. switch my board honestly at that point. I'd just go yeah. ride a bigger board. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Okay, or just go kite. And have you picked a sweet spot? Yeah. Yeah. Have you picked a sweet spot for how, like the weight to size ratio for a sinker board? 
Because um, like you're finding the 32 for yourself at your weight is ideal. What happens if it was a 45 or a 50? Would you find that it would throw you off more? It wouldn't sink as well? Correct. Or? So just kind of give you an idea. One liter okay. will displace one kilogram of volume, right? So if I'm, what, I'm like 80 kilos, I think. Uh, an 80 kilo board, I'm essentially like neutrally buoyant over that board. Um, so yeah. having something that you're pretty dramatically heavier than will help you get it down. Um, I've done that sinker start up to about 50 liters. There is a point though, where like, it's like a, a bell curve in a sense where, where like too low volume is going to be too hard to, to get up. And then you kind of have your sweet spot. And then if you're too much volume, it's also like really quirky and wants to throw you off and doesn't want to sink properly. So there is an optimal volume okay. for sure. Um, I don't know if there's like a, a specific formula or like a percentage of your weight. Um, I've talked to guys that are my size that they're like, oh, I, I can't do 35 liters, but like I can do it. And then guys are like, oh, I like, you know, 28 is perfect or I think that's not quite enough. So everyone has their own ways and their own kind of uh, nuances about what they like and don't like. Um, really, I think the best bet is like try to make friends that have different size boards and see if they'll let you borrow them. <laughs> really? What I, can you account for, Tom? Because how how big is your little one now? Is it thirty something as well? Yeah, so I'm I'm a little bit lighter than you are, but not much. And my my small board is thirty eight liters, and I think that I'm for me because the I'm in the Caribbean, so our trade winds are quite a bit. Uh, weaker than what you get in Maui so we'll get you know that 12 to 15 knots fairly often and I find myself a little bit limited with that board I can totally relate when you you have a lot of wind you know you get that sink start going and it's it's, it's sweet you can ride a tiny board it's really awesome and it's great but if you're in kind of marginal conditions or if it's really gusty and you need to be you know kind of pop up really quickly I've found that a little bit more volume that lets you um, kind of do a knee start or a modified knee start is is uh, really cool. And you don't end up losing that much feel in the air, I find, compared to smaller boards. Obviously, the smaller the better. It's always more fun. There's no, <laughs> there's no way around that. But, um, yeah, I find that, like, kind of your weighting kilo is minus 25 or maybe minus 30 is, is a pretty sweet spot for that first small board and anything below that you you either need a lot of women a lot of technique as you're kind of saying steve otherwise you're, you're really working hard yeah for sure and that's okay. kind of you know my my quiver's designed and set up for maui right i wouldn't take my gear to to the caribbean or someone had lighter wind and expect to have the same results right that's just not reality and All i right. guess this kind of goes back into like design and everything too you know what what I think is awesome here in Maui might not be awesome in Toronto or might not be good in, in Spain or yeah. in the Caribbean. So like, yeah, I think the, the conditions we have here are really good for testing stuff because it's just so consistent and so good. But then you also kind of have to keep that in the All back right. of your mind that like, is this good for everyone, you know, or is it only good for this small, you know, niche group or one location? Um, and that's like, you know, when we're testing gear, I try to go ride it at a bunch of different spots. You know, like the, the Kalui Harbor is going to be different than Kanaha, which is going to be different than Sprax and different than Hokifa. And like all these different spots have their own characteristics mm -hmm. and their own own things that they do. So it's kind of cool to, to go try light wind and flat water to like sketchy east wind in bigger waves and like just trying to see what <laughs> how everything works. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And have you looked at, um, and what's your take on canopy tension? Because there are some wings, obviously, that have that are very loose, that they're good for high end, but they got no grunt. Like, have you found in your testing that you can go too far with canopy tension if it gets too taut, like that kind of thing? Yeah, I think um, canopy touch tension is important, but also I think like the camber and the profile of the wing relative to that canopy tension is is really important. You know, some of these wings, they're, they're like so high strung or so tight where they you know, they point straight up wind, but then they also backwind really easy to the point where like, it's almost difficult mm. to ride up wind. And then some of them, you know, as you said, they're so loose and sloppy that like, they just flutter and they're like a, a noisemaker, not a sail. Um, so I think there is a balance <laughs> point in there and you know, it's all give and take pros and cons. Um, 
it's, you know, I tell Ben, like, I want it all. I want a sail that has good low end, that's lightweight, <laughs> that's strong, it's stable, it rides waves good. Like, I want everything. So just give me everything. Um, but I think, you know, just making the right concessions is, is important in the sail design. Uh, if, you know, there's some wings that okay. are just phenomenal freestyle wings where you can go and do 720s all day long, but then you try to ride them on a wave and they're like flipping over and topsy turvy and you don't know where they're going. You have wing, wings that do the opposite, okay. right? Where they're dead stable, but they don't jump at all or they have no catch. Um, so kind of just matching the wing with what you want it to do, I think is really important. Yeah, because I, I teach wing foiling a little bit on Vancouver Island. Like I do that part time. And and one of my buddies got like a V1 from from Nash and he was so excited. And he comes down to the beach. I'm going to get going in eight knots. And, and it's like, how did it go? And he's like, it's not the right wing for eight knots, but it's fun for other conditions. And then yeah. like same thing with the ocean rodeos came out with stuff. And I'm, I'm a, I ride with the KT a little bit. So that KT wing came out and that's cool. And it's really fun though, seeing all the different kinds of styles of stuff. And are you finding now that it's breaking down more, obviously sports specific, like windsurfing, like you have different sales for racing, different styles for freestyle, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, yeah I'm seeing some stuff where like, companies are trying to focus it kind of seems like two main disciplines, right? Like wave riding or freestyle. Um, they're both similar okay. with what they want, but they're also different. Like for wave riding, having a, a sail that just has really solid pull, it's consistent and stable. That's huge. Because if you're riding a wave and the wing's flipping all around and kind of going crazy on you, like it takes a lot of the fun out of it. Um, then it seems like a yeah. lot of the freestyle emphasized wings are going more for uh backwind performance and like stability on inverts when you're going over the wing um or something that spins around okay. easy and doesn't like doesn't pull you down towards the water but kind of goes more around um it seems like those are two of the main focuses that companies are going right now um but there's okay. man, it, you know kind of like you said there's there's a hundred different designs out there and a hundred different wings and there's really no i don't think anyone has a, a right or wrong answer i think they're all just different um and really you just got to find a brand yeah. and a, a design that works for each rider yeah that's a really good way of looking at it i think i think there's um and it's the same for any gear that you look at just try to find a brand have a designer that's kind of doing what you want to do and and go with that because that's that's usually what's going to give you the gear that you're going to be most stoked on and ideally if they're about your size that's even better uh, but you know that's asking for a lot um so what what are you thinking of these new uh materials you know like all these uh high modulus materials and stuff like that like how have you uh what do you think i think it's cool man uh i think one of the this might get me crucified but i think one of the the shortcomings of like the surf industry in general is being resistant to change resistant to new materials new constructions like Yes, there's tried and true. Yes, there's materials that you know are going to work every time. But without trying new things and, and taking risks in a sense, um, you know, we're never going to push these sports and the designs and the progression to, to where it could be. So for me, it's, it's really mm -hmm. exciting because it's not my company, right? I don't have any skin in the game to take the risk on a material <laughs> that may or may not work, right? So throwing that out there, I understand yeah. why the, the safe option is, is attractive. But from a engineering standpoint and like a design standpoint i think it's really cool to see companies trying new things and and taking those risks to see what materials are going to work well or what you know what's out there that maybe didn't work for windsurf sales but could be great for wing sales um so i get excited about it uh i like that you know ben is willing to try these things too and get prototypes made of i guess on proven materials just to see are they going to work and is this going to work for for the sport mm -hmm. and the designs like so I'm excited about it. I think once more people start doing that type of design and trying new fabrics, trying new materials, everyone's going to kind of follow, but it's the, uh, like who's going to go first type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had a call with a guy in Vancouver Island that repairs wings, um, Yoast from Comox kite repair. And he showed us some new materials at ocean. Cause he works closely with ocean rodeo and some of those materials, they went from just, they're almost unterrible. No, I'm sure a foil will still go through them, but we were kind of curious to see the performance of those things. And did you have to adjust like the shape of the wing 
to compensate for the fact that it's not as stretchy, all that kind of stuff. We're kind of, I'm stoked to see what's going to come of it, but. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, like how the design changes relative to the materials. Um, but I, it only makes sense, right. If you have a different modulus or different elongation under pressure, like your, your sail shape is going to change when it's loaded and how your, you know, how your sail is twisting and acting with one material, it's going to be different with a different material. So just taking the same design and putting new material on it, I don't think it would maximize the performance of that material. Um, so I think, you know, okay. making a design and, and material that are congruent and work together and they play off of each of each other's strengths. I think that's really important. Yeah, I totally okay. agree. And, no, and I think point. it's, um, it's, it's not even just that it's not going to maximize the performance of the material. You might actually end up with something that doesn't work as well. Like I, I personally found some of the early Alula wings that I tried, they were really light, which was really cool and really stiff, but they almost felt too stiff. And like the, you know, the sail just couldn't breathe. They were. It like, it couldn't deform and it, it just, yeah. it didn't really work um, because they just, you know, took the same leading edge diameters and, and, and kind of worked it, it with this new material and it just didn't work. And I think that's really a case of, as you're saying, you, you got to try it and you got to see if you don't try, you don't know. Yeah. So what's your longest swim then when one of these new wings is blown up? Have you seen any of that? Has that happened to you? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Well, have you taken out like a, whatever, a prototype wing, have it blow out kind of thing at Kanaha or somewhere else? And or do you normally have a ski when you're prototyping? Oh, my, stuff my longest you're swim. Just going out on your own? Uh, man. Yeah. Uh, no, usually like if we're just going and winging, usually no, no ski. You got to swim in with uh, your, your arms and your legs. <laughs> Uh, I think the swim from way outside (laughs) is like a mile and some change, maybe a mile or so. Um, and yeah, I've definitely swam in more than, uh, more than I'd like to, uh, usually it's more from like falling in waves and then having the wave trash the sail. Uh, that's, that's been like why I've swam more than anything else. Or the foil catches it and pops your leading edge or, you know, just foils and wings are, are not inherently good combinations. (laughs) Uh, the foil usually wins. <laughs> no, not so, when you're getting washed yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're getting tumbled and washed and <laughs> leashes are pulling everywhere. It's kind of like just said, <laughs> say your prayers and hope that your foil stays out of your wing is really all you can do. Okay. Uh, and how do you stay like you, you have, have you come close to the board or anything or has that been fairly good okay so far in in that washing machine it's, it's everything has fair game to collide your body your wing the board the foil everything it's everything <laughs> is fair game um yeah i, I do okay. kind of plan for that right like i wear a shorty with some uh foam okay. built into it so i have a little impact flotation uh i've been wearing a helmet okay. um i found also it's interesting everything drifts or pulls at a different rate and so like the wings, they seem to get pulled the furthest and then the board seems to be the slowest. So kind of between my board leash and my wing leash, I'm like caught in the middle getting drugged between two ends and it generally keeps them out of the way. Now, obviously it's not always the case, but it sometimes works out in that favor. Uh, but then sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you on that like how do you have some sort of a leash set up that you know minimizes chances of things tangling because I've had a few sessions where you know I've, I've just gone too deep and just blew up and then the wing you know the second the foil comes in contact with the wing getting washed you're dead like there's nothing yeah. you can do the thing is torn so like have you seen any interesting setups that you know has a longer leash or I don't know something to that effect that um can minimize that kind of damage i think for leash setups and stuff i don't think there's a whole lot you can do um i've tried waist leashes i personally ride with a wrist leash and uh just a normal surf leg leash for my board um i think the the waist leashes i just personally i didn't like it as much i didn't like that pull coming from my waist as opposed to my arm um but when you're falling and getting washed, kind of something I've found is if if I know I'm going to go down or like I'm in the middle of falling, I'll try to throw the wing straight up in the air and try to get it over the foam of the wave. Um, and I found that 
dramatically improve the survival rate of my wings. Uh, what I was finding was like when the, when the wave okay. grabs them, it tears the canopies. So the bladders and everything are just fine. They're all intact, but the, the canopies are actually getting blown out. Like at the stitching, just from all the pressure that, you know, you have a wave and then a sail that's catching it all. Like it's going to blow it out. Um, so keeping the wing up above the foam and the turbulence has been a really a positive thing. Um, and then I kind of just let the board do whatever, uh, usually like if the wing goes over the wave and then lands kind of on top of it, the whitewater will grab it and kind of pull it out away from me. So I know basically like the tension in my leashes for where my gear is. If I feel my wrist leash is super tight, okay. then I know my wings far away and I'm okay. And then I can try to like figure out where the board is. Or if I know my leg is super tight, then I know the board's pretty far away and that it's going to be coming back at me. It's neat that that's normal <laughs> for you. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of yard sales and a lot of beatings to kind of figure out the nuances of uh of eating it yeah i guess so i guess so for for every for those at home and for those at home steve that that are either stuck at work or stuck in the snow can you walk us through a day of what it feels like to be a waterman out there yeah uh Kind of, you know, get up in the morning, I uh, get my binoculars out and take a look at the North Shore, see where the waves are. Uh, you know, I follow the, the wind and weather reports really closely, track swells coming in. So I usually have an idea of what that day is going to look like before it even gets there. Um, if there's no wind yeah. in the forecast and I know waves are coming, then, you know, we get the skis out and get ready to go tow uh, or go paddle if we want to surf. Um Otherwise, if it's a wind day, then, you know, usually a morning surf and then we'll come home, have some lunch, go back down to the beach with the wind gear and go get some winging or kiting in. Uh, and then depending on, you know, uh, what the what the evening session looks like and how hard we played that day, sometimes an evening surf session. Uh, if, if there's not much waves and it's really blasting wind, then the downwind crews show up and we do some downwind paddling. And uh, yeah, it's kind of those. Oh, there's, nice. there's no shortage of, of activities every day. I said that work is not involved in this at all, hey? No, no, of course not. We, we don't use that for a lot of <laughs> Love it. <laughs> How many hours a week do you say you're working with Ben and on, 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 on testing? And, uh, it really varies. Kind of it kind of depends on where Ben's at in his development cycle and kind of what he has going on for, for designs and prototypes and stuff um when i call it like christmas day when christmas day shows up and the the ups box comes to my front door <laughs> uh pretty good amount of time going back and forth with you know what did i think about this how did this feel or what yeah i try to just tell ben what what did i experience and what did i feel and let him take care of the design um because you know really he he knows okay. in and out what each piece of the puzzle is doing so if i tell him hey I, I felt i had really good low end power but my top end was kind of lacking like he knows what to do and like, okay, well, if we change that, you're going to experience this. Okay. And so it's a really good, like give and take relationship for him. Um, I like, you know, he, he just tries different stuff and we send it and go ride it. So once I kind of give him uh, the feedback I have on the wings, then it, you know, it kind of becomes more of just a waiting period to get new prototypes made, get new designs okay. rolled out and then you sh they get shipped over and, and we do it all over again. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's kind of a, a variable number i guess but when when we get wings okay. it's definitely a lot of time going back and forth and trying to figure out you know how how do we make these exactly what we want where is ben and on based uh they're in canada he's in quebec i believe just north oh. of montreal yeah and uh, around um syndrome the the blue the new blue wing the new blue wing with the oh yeah man that was a really cool wing um ben was showing me pictures of this design for for months before i actually got my hands on the prototype uh he had so much new stuff packed into it he had new handles new connections new materials um a new design like everything was brand new uh and I was excited about it just because I've seen pictures of it for so long. And then it finally showed up at my house. Um, the, uh, it was a perfect example of like trying all this new stuff. And there was a lot of good that came out of it. And then there was some stuff that did need to get tweaked on it. And really it wasn't, there's no way to find out without building one and seeing what goes. Uh, really the, uh, the top end of the wing was fantastic. Uh, 
the wing didn't have quite enough camber, I believe, or sale profile to where the low end of it was a little lacking. Uh, it took a lot of effort to get it moving. Um, but then once we got it going, then it sailed really nice. The lightweight was the coolest thing. Like I was just like flipping this wing around with one hand, like it was a, a tissue paper out there. It was really fun to ride. Uh, but again, one of those things, it was really easy. You know, we brought it to the beach, we went and rode it and I was like, man, I just need a little more power in the sail. And he goes, Oh, no problem. And tweaks the design and he's getting a new one made and we'll try that one. Okay. Let us know what you think when you get yeah, it. For sure. For those at home that want to follow you a little bit more, um, you're on social media, you're on Instagram, Facebook, that kind yep. of thing. Yeah. My Instagram is Steve underscore Tobis, T-O-B as in boy, I-S. Uh, you can find me through the hydrofoil company, Blue Smiths. Uh, yeah. Out here in Maui. Come say hi. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Are you, are you riding uh, uh, MSC stuff then, the hydrofoil company? Yep, so I'm riding stuff from the Hydrofoil Company. Uh, I believe they've split off from MFC, so kind of just doing their own thing now. Um, but yeah, there's okay. some new foils coming out from the Hydrofoil Company that are really, really good. Uh, kind of going through the final oh. stages of R&D on them right now. I'm really excited about that whole product line, but uh, I think that's that's a whole other conversation in itself. <laughs> oh, yes. We should definitely have you back for that. I'm very keen to hear about that. Absolutely. Can you give us a little spoiler? Uh, you're not allowed yet. Yeah, they rip. <laughs> Epic. I love it. Do you know when they're releasing? Maybe we can have a thought around then, and at that point you can uh, kind of tell us a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I don't them. know about that. I don't know, like, the release date or anything on them. Um, I know it's coming, but, yeah, I, I don't know when. Uh, but as soon as I get more information, yeah, I'll give you guys a shout, and we can uh, set something up. Sure. No, that'd be awesome. Well, hey, man, it was great to meet you, yeah, talk to you. Thanks for joining and kind of spreading that love and spreading that joy for everybody. So I really appreciate it. And um, looking forward to meeting you in Maui when we all get back out yes. there. And that'd be sweet. Awesome, guys. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys make it over to Maui. Come hit me up and we'll go sail. Definitely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. All right, guys. Thanks for joining yep. us. Aloha. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.